remember I had to take a cab to his house and uh, where he practiced and um, I'm not somebody who talks to cab drivers but after therapy I would strike up the most illuminating conversations with people because I was free of my fears and you know after the sessions they were just so enormously relieving and liberating and he didn't give me any answers he helped me to get to the answers myself welcome to the a different kind of psychiatry podcast brought to you by the aco i'm dr chris burrett each month we feature a case presentation interview or discussion by one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at organomy.org. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you'd like to be entered into a raffle for a chance to win an issue of the Journal of Ergonomy for yourself or to send to a friend, you can do so by leaving a review and letting us know by email. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Amazon. We will be sending the winner issue 48-2, which includes the articles Life Without Medication by Dr. Dale Rosen, Tourette's Syndrome as a Symptom of Character by Dr. Phil Heller, and There Must Be More to Life by Dr. Peter Christ. If you're interested in attending one of our live webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. You can connect with us and learn more at organomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. This episode features an interview with Jackie Bosworth, MD. Wilhelm Reich's work and medical organ therapy impacted Dr. Bosworth so profoundly that at the age of 48, she entered medical school with the goal to become a medical organomist. I hear from Dr. Bosworth about how she first learned of Wilhelm Reich and his work, and what drove her to pursue learning more about organomy and becoming a medical organomist. So Dr. Bosworth, I'm, I'm really happy to sit down and talk with you today. I really enjoyed talking with the doctors in the ACO about how they learned about Wilhelm Reich, organomy, and, and how they started and began their journey into becoming a medical ergonomist and how that path has taken them to where they are today. So I'm curious, could you tell me and the listeners, how did you end up where you are today? Sure. So um, I guess my story starts um, growing up. I was the youngest of four girls, widely spaced in age. Um, And growing up, I would say my parents were through with raising children and so I was largely ignored and when I wasn't ignored it meant I was in trouble so um, I was either yelled at or sometimes something worse Um, but what that did was it definitely taught me to pay attention I learned when a person was going to get angry you know by their facial expression by you know, it meant that I was a, an observer at a very early age, and that's that protected me, along with um, the sister who was closest 
in age to me. <clears throat> she was five years older than me. Um, and she kind of took me under her wing as well. So um, those two things got me through the formative years. And then I went to the University of Wisconsin during the late 1960s. You were and born and raised in Wisconsin? I was born and raised in Chicago. Chicago. So going to Madison, Wisconsin was a two and a half hour ride. It meant I was far enough away from home that I could enjoy my independence. Spread um, your wings. <laughs> was, yeah, spread my wings. And it was a time for spreading wings. It was the Vietnam War protests, um, a lot of societal changes. Um, I think um, very important things happened that have advanced our culture, like um, minorities gaining freedoms that they didn't have previously. And contraception was a very critical sexual freedom that changed women's lives during that era. Um, so I majored in psychology and um, I actually founded the Psychology Students Association. I even did some cognitive learning experiments and worked in Harry Harlow's lab with the primates. And But it was very far removed from what I wanted to do. You know, I was fascinated with Freud. And I had read a lot of Freud's work and... In college or in high school? When did you start in high Freud? school and college? Yes, and I wasn't really getting anything of that. It was like a by the way mention in some of you know in the history of psychology. It was not the emphasis. So, when Dr. I Bob, if, I, if I could interrupt you for a second, sure. do you what was it about Freud's work, his writing that that stood out to you or grabbed you? Or? It was his insights into people's pathology and how sexual repression was at the core of it. The whole idea of free association and the unconscious was um, just very fascinating to me. And I, I felt, yeah, there, this has to be where to go. Mm. Um, I guess... For a long time, I've, you know, I was sort of like the, in high school, I was sort of like the person that my friends would come to, to talk about their problems. And people were trying to rebel at that time from authoritarian upbringing. And, you know, that partly meant having certain freedoms that were not allowed. So it, it was always at the back of my mind that sexual repression was, was at the core of, of the teenage problem of adolescence in America being the drug users and the ones who were prone to violence and delinquency and everything else that was happening at the time. Mm. You know, I'd spend hours on the phone with people at night talking to them about their troubles and... Mm. Um, trying to help them feel better about it. So I felt like I was good at it. Uh -huh. and, and yes, I thought 
this is probably what I want to do with my life. So yeah. But when you mentioned that uh, Freud and, and free association, it sounds like even at that young age in high school, you had a sense of your own depths and and maybe your peers also and and what they were struggling with, and and didn't, you know get the answer until you read Reich and, and learned more about what he had to offer and, and, and his uh, perspective and his work with medical ergonomy. Yeah, I think that's true. Mm. I've always been a deep thinker. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I actually double majored in English literature huh. in in college because I was, you know, not getting the answers from psychology and so literature and novels sometimes led you to the answers about things in a different way yeah um so i graduated with this psych degree which was worthless you know it, it you weren't trained to do anything you could go to grad school and become a clinical psychologist but that would have meant that I'd be able to do testing, and I wasn't interested in that IQ at all. IQ testing and so forth. Sorry. You mean IQ testing and, and different yeah. psychometrics? Cognitive testing, you know, you could do Rorschach tests. That might have been interesting, but the rest of them were, you know, what's what clinical psychologists do today, which is um, they're trained at being able to administer a lot of psych tests. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they're still not trained to do therapy with people. So my sister had moved to um, the New York area and she convinced me to come out to the East Coast. And I thought, oh, well, I'll never find a job. But I did. I found um, a low paying but very hands on job as a counselor in a, a home for severely disturbed children. And there I met my second husband, whose name was Bob, and my first husband in that order. (laughs) Um, There was a a school for the kids where they were bused to that school. So I would come to the home in the early mornings, get them ready for school, write a little note in a notebook about what had happened with them, and then come back at the end of the day after school and and have them until they went to sleep at night. Um, So it was an interesting job. And Bob was um, working in the school. So he and I would communicate through this notebook about the kids that we both had. Um, And there was this one child, Robbie. And I remember complaining about him because he would dig his nails into my arm whenever he was really upset. Um, And I was very challenged by him. I didn't know how to get him to stop hurting me and, you know, really what to do about it. So I wrote Bob some notes about it. And I remember Bob used the word aggression when talking about Robbie and said that he needed to find it. And I commented back to him, well, he has no lack of aggression. (laughs) Yeah. But Bob's reply was, probably my first introduction to ergonomy and and to Reich. He said something that explained legitimate aggression as a meaningful, appropriate act, which could help a person to release their pent-up emotions. And it was for the first time 
somebody said to me, well, it's okay to be angry. You know, that was a complete revelation. Anyhow, I fell in love with Bob and he was considerably older than me. And I guess we were both scared about that. Um, And we ended up marrying other people. Later, he became the clinical director of the residence, and I was able to see him work firsthand with children. And it was genius. His ability to contact with them, meaningfully contact with them. I remember there was one girl who never spoke, and his work with her, she was 11 years old already, he got her to speak. I mean, she would just make sounds. She had a horribly traumatic past, and um, he changed her life. He, he was like a miracle worker, honestly. Wow. So he introduced me to Reich. Um, he was in therapy his, himself, and um, I started by reading char- first character analysis, then function of the orgasm, and then the murder of Christ, and finally, mass psychology of fascism. Just over a few month period, I just raced through them. I was enthralled. And I was hooked from there. You know, this was what I wanted to do. This had meaning to me. This sang to me. This said to me some of the things that I had thought and elaborated on them in ways of clarity and meaning that just were miraculous to me. It it completely liberated me and expanded me for for um, what I needed to do and, and what was important to me and how I could work with children and how I could have meaning in my life in a way that I had never had before. Wow. Do you remember, Dr. Bosworth, when you were reading those books, was there anything specific that, that stood out, um, whether it's a function of the orgasm or the murder of Christ? or I think because character analysis was first, and, you know, we all read these books, especially as physicians or therapists, and see ourselves in the, in the descriptions. And when I read my description, I couldn't believe somebody had it down so pat, you know, (laughs) this was who I am, and he knew it, you know, and he understood pathology. And that meant, you know, so much to me that I wasn't swimming in the dark anymore. I, I had a model of health. And he had a model for cure, unlike any other psychiatrist, including Freud. Now, by that time, when I got together with Bob, he was in in medical organ therapy with a man named Dr. Crane and Duncan. I, I started to see him as well. And he was somebody who really helped us live with our passions and made us less afraid of what we wanted in our lives. And... Um, Even though years later, Bob and I separated and I became a single mother raising children in New York City, it was 
the thing that changed my life, being in Oregon therapy and um, being able to practice to some extent what I was experiencing myself. Um, and I always knew I wanted to do therapy, but I didn't think that I had a sufficient scientific background or that I'd be a, any good at it. So I was afraid to go to medical school, and instead I went and got a social work degree. Um, Dr. Bosworth, if, if I could interrupt you for a sure. moment. You mentioned reading the books and learning um, from Bob about Wilhelm Reich, and then he was in therapy and he introduced it to you. Could you say something about what that was like from going from the theoretical of reading these books to, to being in therapy of what that experience was like? Mm. Every time I went to therapy, I, I felt to me like I had a, an agenda that was hidden from me and he would discover it. And by the end of the session, that agenda would be resolved and something in me was freer than when I'd walked in the door. And there were times when I would simply float on air afterwards, you know, dance. I, I remember I had to take a cab to his house and uh, where he practiced. And um, I'm not somebody who talks to cab drivers, but... After therapy, I would strike up the most illuminating conversations with people because I was free of my fears. And, you know, after the sessions, they were just so enormously relieving and liberating. And he didn't give me any answers. He helped me to get to the answers myself. And that was different from any anything I'd ever experienced and or seen. So um, it worked, and I knew it worked. Yeah. Well, what what I'm hearing you say, and and I think that's an important concept um, for for people to understand, which is uncovering, you know, your talents, your health, um, your own healthy impulses to speak, you know, to to move. Uh, nobody's putting that into you or, or, or putting something onto you or pushing you. It's it's uncovering yeah. what blocks you from being able to do that spontaneously. And that's what right. I'm hearing you say. Right. It's a it's there. It's just you don't you don't own it. Yeah. And therapy allows you to own who you are. Yeah. So I now found myself as a single mother in New York City, and um, you were studying social work. You said because I had I was already a social worker by then, and um, I had a a daytime job in variety of things, mostly legal secretary because it paid really well. And then at night, I would see patients um, for a few hours and um, developed a private practice. So I did that for a long time, and then a, an actual, a step relative, and he was somebody who had worked with pre-med pre students. He, he taught courses in how to study for the MCAT. He wrote some of the ARCO books on that, and um, he convinced me to go to med school, you know, 
you can do it kind of thing. And um, my kids were grown by then. I was still in therapy. I very much felt like doing social work was operating with your hands tied behind your back. How so? Because I wanted to work physically, but I wasn't trained to do it. And I wouldn't dare take that chance. You know, I felt I understand why it's so important to be medically trained to be a medical ergonomist. Um, Again, you're dealing with the whole person and um, you have to know how the body reacts. Um, So at age 47 and a half, I left New York and went to the West Indies, Grenada, to St. George's University with the sole intention of becoming a medical ergonomist, ultimately. Mm. Um, And I had a very interesting path. I I did part of my training and I did a year in England, clinical rotations in England, which gave me a different perspective of medicine that was has been very useful to me um, in terms of understanding what total care can mean. They have a system in England that cares for people, they call it from the cradle to the grave. So um, healthcare is guaranteed there. And um, it means that you end up with a variety of pathologies and you get to see a a very broad spectrum. So that training was very interesting to me. Mm. And then the rest is history, I guess. I I became, um, you know, a medical ergonomist and I work, um, right now I work part-time with adolescents in, in residential treatment and then I have my private practice so it was just no big deal in your life at 47 to go to medical school? That was just like, oh, you know, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to go to medical school. It was a huge deal. Tell me uh, about it. <laughs> so personally, it was huge because I was leaving my kids. And even though they were grown, they're still my kids. And mm-hmm. um, that meant I wasn't going to see a lot of things that were happening with them on a daily basis. And second of all, um, I was, there was, there was only one person in the whole school out of hundreds of kids, um, who was older than me, a a man who was an attorney and he was two years older than me. So, yeah, I mean, I was competing with 20 year olds and so I felt like I was a grandmother in some, some regards. Um, But, and it also meant, you know, I had to, I think I had to study a lot harder than other people did because I was older. I remember I lived on the beach and I never went to the beach. Never. Mm. I would come back and study all night and then go to school and then study all night. So close, but so far away. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it really gave me an appreciation for the human body and so much of it was fascinating to me and and I knew this was what I wanted to do no matter 
how hard it was to get there. So mm -hmm. I personally that, that connection with with organomy and, and therapy is, is what helped you get through that that hard work. Um, knowing what I wanted to do and that this was really the meaningful thing in my life uh, that made sense to me and that provided the answers that meant that I could really help people in a big way. That was the motivation for me mm -hmm. to get through it. And some of the courses, you know, were, I loved, you know, biochemistry was fascinating for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was illuminating and understanding, like I said, how the human body works and appreciating what a fantastic vehicle the human body is for life um, just gave me a new appreciation of, of what I'd be dealing with. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you've always had curiosity. Is that accurate? For sure. Um, you know, it's one thing to be curious and to find the answers on your own. It's another to formally pursue your dream. That It's more than curiosity. It's having the confidence to say, I'm going to find the answers and stick to it and persevere. Yeah, yeah. So you graduated medical school and then did uh, residency in psychiatry? Yeah. Yeah. I did a residency at St. Vincent's, and then I did a fellowship in um, adolescent and child psychiatry in, in Westchester. Uh -huh. What was that experience like for you? Um, you know, when you're just studying general medicine, there's nothing to hide because you're not talking about ergonomy at all. But when you're doing psychiatry and you are looking at things in a different way because of your own therapy and your own readings. And it's frowned on by the mainstream of psychiatry. Then you, ha it's like hiding your light in a bushel. Mm. Um, but there were times that, you know, there were definite eureka moments in working with somebody because I understood their character or I understood the etiology of how they got to be how they were. And so it gave me some insights at times. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I was liked by my peers and by my colleagues and professors and mentors. So, um, it allowed me to do what I needed to do to get to where I wanted to go. So when you look back at things, um, you know, your experience, I mean, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, this, this chance encounter with Bob had like really opened up this whole new world to you. That's true. That is true. <laughs> I, if I hadn't come to New York, if I hadn't met him, I don't know if I ever would have discovered Reich. I don't know, you know, what path my life would have taken, but I was 
disenchanted with psycho- with the mainstream of psychology and psychiatry. I, I didn't know how to make it work. So, yes, that is definitely mm-hmm. true. Was it the sister who was five years older than you who kind of looked after you? She was the one who recommended you come to the East Coast? Yeah, she had moved here and everybody else was still in Chicago. And I had a job offer on the West Coast. Uh So it was a choice between going to the West Coast where I had friends or coming to New York where my sister was. And I guess I made the right choice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. What a series of, of, of events that just kind of connected and, and led you to where you are. Yeah. Very uh, lucky. It doesn't sound like y- you would change it a bit. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy where I am right now. And I like what I'm doing. This is very important to me. It's I don't get up in the morning and say, oh, I have to go to work today. I, I really like it. It's wonderful to hear that. Yeah. And my kids turned out okay. <laughs> <laughs> Does your sister or different people who are instrumental in your journey, do, do they know how important some of these things have been for you? Um. Certainly the person who convinced me to go to med school does. Uh-huh. And I've told my sister, you know, she sees me as a successful psychiatrist and that has meaning to her, but she doesn't uh-huh. realize quite how much it changed my life. The depth of, of what that means for you. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, Dr. Bosworth, this has been wonderful hearing about your story and, and your journey to where you are as a medical ergonomist. I hope it helps other people, gives them the courage to pursue what they want to do with their lives, their dream. How do you feel after listening to Dr. Bosworth's journey? What do you think? I was impressed with her tenacity to follow her dream despite her fears and the difficulties before her. She connected immediately and deeply with Reich's writings and medical organ therapy, but it took her decades to get to the point where she could work with patients in this way as a medical doctor and medical organomist. I'm grateful to have her as a colleague. We're interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at organomy.org. Stay tuned for our next episode and we'd love to have you join us for one of our webinars. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you'll share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at orgonomy.org or a psychiatry.com. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast with the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Organomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical organ therapy, as practiced by the physicians at the ACO, offers a way forward 
often without the use of medication. <laughs>